Welcome to Mysteries, Myths, and More. I'm your narrator, Joyce Keller Walsh. My intention is to use this podcast to tell a story each month, sometimes fiction, sometimes not, that I hope you'll find interesting, engaging, and provocative. This podcast is on memoir writing, and it's an interview with author Alberta Sequeira. For those who follow my podcasts, you'll note that I try episodically to preserve the biographies as best I can of people I've known or known of who have intersected with my life and whom I've found interesting. Often, however, I've lamented the lack of primary source material, in particular memoirs, people telling their own stories in the ways they want to tell it. In this episode, I have invited guest author Alberta Sequeira to discuss the process of writing a memoir. Among her other books, she has three published memoirs and conducts workshops on memoir writing. Welcome, Alberta, to Mysteries, Myths, and More. Thank you, Joyce. Thank you for having me. Let's begin with your first memoir, A Spiritual Renewal, A Journey to Medjugorje, which focuses on your trip to the religious shrine in Bosnia in memory of your father. You had never written a book before or taken a course in memoir writing, so what prompted you to begin this project? Well, what really started it is I was by my father's side when he was dying, I'd say about two weeks. And my father was Albert L. Graham, who was a brigadier general. And he also was in the military life where he was one of the commanding officers of the 26th Yankee Division during World War II. And he fought in battles like Metz, Lorraine, and of course the famous Battle of the Bulge. But in 1953, he became a brigadier general. And being a young child, I never took the time to get to know him during his life or even wanted to learn about the war. But as we all know, men and women coming home from war, they aren't really comfortable talking about their experiences. It's too much pain. So I decided to write a book to leave to our family and future generations. So I wrote the mag- wrote to the magazine, The Yankee Doings, advertising the need to talk to anyone who either served with my father during his service years or knew him. I received many letters, emails, and added information to the story. I completed it with no idea what to do with it, where to go. Then I met an author, Pat Perry, who suggested I write to a publisher and get the story in print. And that's really how the journey to Magigoria began. My father died in 1990 at 5.30 in the morning. And it was sad that at 9 o'clock in the morning, a director from the board of the Cushman Valley uh, Properties came to visit my father to tell them that they were going to name the main entrance of the parcel at uh, 1 Fordham Road and 151 as the Yale Grand Park. For those of you who live in um, uh, East Belmouth, if you go to the corner of 151 and 1 Fordham Road, where the flag is, you will see his stone. But what's surprising, just this week, uh, my brothers and my sister, we got a a handbook that they made for the end of the work that they do for that location. And I found out that my father would go every night to take the flag down. Mm. And every morning he put it up. And I just found that out (laughs) at my late age. Uh So it goes to show we really don't take the time Mm. to know who our loved ones really are. How did you begin having no experience writing, certainly not writing a book, 
How did you begin the process? What did you do? Well, I did what I try to tell people when I teach a class. Just write. Mm-hmm. Um, I Sometimes you can write the beginning, and all of a sudden you're writing the end. But that's what's great about a computer today. Mm-hmm. You can cut and paste and mm-hmm. copy. Mm-hmm. So I just wrote, and it's funny how slowly with this book that started, because it was really about my father and I talking about miracles. Mm-hmm. And I go through the sadness of watching him dying of cancer. Mm-hmm. And after he dies... I want to take this trip to Magigoria in Bosnia where miracles are happening and six visionaries are getting messages from the Blessed Mother. So I put all this together, and I had no idea of going to Bosnia. I thought I was going to help my father with his soul, mm-hmm. and it turned out that I needed <laughs> I needed the prayers, and it gave me peace. That's how the book really started. How long did it take you to complete the book? Probably two years. Really? And then what did you do with it? Uh, That's when I stood in the middle of the living room not knowing what to do with it until I met Pat Perry. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea where to look for authors or anything. And I was lucky to find her. In fact, she called me. And she told me to find publishers. She gave me a name of one, which I went to. And they published the book. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's how I got started into the world of writing. It's addictive, isn't it? (laughs) Oh, good. Once you start, forget it. (laughs) When you hold your workshops on memoir, well, let me go back up, because when you finished your first book, you then embarked on a second one. And uh, after your former husband died, and you endured the pain of having one of your daughters also die of alcoholism. Um, But your husband and your marital life in Someone Stop This Merry-Go-Round, an alcoholic family in crisis, talks about your marital life with your husband who was an alcoholic. What made you decide to take that step of revealing all of this information? Well, you have to remember when I wrote this book, this event with facing a family with alcohol abuse happened back in the 70s and 80s, and boy, I'll tell you, we hit it. Mm-hmm. And I also felt like a failure. Mm. What was happening here? I am married, and I couldn't keep my family together. I must have been doing something wrong. So I came from a military family. We were all very close. So I just could not understand what was happening. But it wasn't an easy decision Mm. to write this book because I knew I was going to talk about some very private events. And the reason I wanted to do it is because it's a memoir. Mm -hmm. I wanted people to know what happens behind closed doors, all my mistakes, and believe me, I wasn't proud with a lot of them. But back then, I had no knowledge Mm -hmm. of alcohol abuse. But that's how I started. But I had to go to his family to get permission. And that wasn't easy because uh, my husband, Richard Lopes, is the brother to Gilbert, who they call Sonny Lopes, and his wife, Anita Lopes, from Taunton. and they they wouldn't, people outside our area would not know the importance of this family. But in your area... Yes, this is a this is a name and a company that would have been recognized. So you're really tackling an area that would have some public interest. Well, you know, it's it really can go beyond Taunton because they're a very large construction company. It's it's the Lopes Construction Company on Winthrop Street in Taunton. 
I was so close to this family, and it took a year. First, I started writing the book, and I was making it like a fiction, and I thought, you know, I couldn't get into it. I said, that's not the truth. Mm -hmm. I had to write what was in my heart. So that's how I started on the book. Mm -hmm. But people have to realize you have to make sure you get permission. Right. I was just going to ask you about that because you're, in this book you're writing about people that are still alive and whom you know and who will read the book and get back to you about it. So what did, how did you tackle that? Well, I went to each person that was going to be in the story, and I got their permission. In fact, I, I have a section here I'd like to read for anybody who's thinking Mm -hmm. about uh, doing memoirs. And this is what I put in the book. And also I had this above the, pe the section where I was going to have family sign. And it says, the author of this book affirms that the content contents of this book are of her own perceptions only. The situations are given as examples to help other alcoholics and their families. The insight of events in this book may not have happened the same way or in the eyes or minds of those who are mentioned. No harm, embarrassment, slander, or other forms of malice is intended. Some names have been changed to protect the privacy of the individuals. Then I had underneath it the names of the signatures, and it says from the signatures, I will also suggest that they give you permission to use any of their pictures or anything that is in the book. Mm -hmm. And make sure you keep this paper. <laughs> I have mine since 2005, and I think I'm taking it to my grave because <laughs> maybe you'll be a lucky one who'll have your book fly. Mm -hmm. It does happen. And you're going to see friends and family come out of the cracks. Mm -hmm. If you're making money, it hasn't happened to me. <laughs> but with memoirs, you really have to protect yourself because you can have a lot of legal action mm -hmm. coming. So I would advise anybody who's writing a memoir to make sure mm -hmm. that you put those in the book. Was, was that the significant problem of writing this book? What was your biggest obstacle in writing this second, much more private book? It was opening up something that was very deep inside me that was private. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I talk about the private fights. Mm -hmm. I talk about the pain of 14 years, which we all know was way too long to go with putting up with somebody with an alcoholic problem. He got into blackouts. I got beat. I didn't want to call the cops. My God, they might arrest him. Mm -hmm. So you have to stop and think back then who was more sick. Mm -hmm. And my children suffered from it. And this is what's hard to admit. But I want people to know that I also didn't write this book because I wanted to be an author and say, wow, I wrote a book. Mm -hmm. This book is a book of lessons, what I did and what I would change today. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very important. Absolutely. Um, and you do mention your children. Very, very sadly, your daughter died of alcoholism mm -hmm. as well. And you write about it. That is the most courageous act how did you gear yourself up to do that? Well, that, that wasn't really too easy because I had to take time off. I had a lot of crying. Um, it was too painful. It was too raw. But in a way, when you're writing in that mental state, you're really opening up all the emotions that I'm sure anybody who has lost a child in any way can relate to. 
And I just feel that way with memoirs. You have to be honest with it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I figured if I couldn't be honest, then there's no sense writing the book. Now, your daughter was how old when she died? She was 39, and we didn't even know she was an alcoholic until she was, was 37. Ask, yeah. Uh, how long, do you know how long she had been dealing with this problem? Oh, well, when we look back, it was probably 13 years old. Mm. And I remember punishing her because she was going down the street. A a man in the neighborhood, which really breaks your heart, was passing out alcohol to the the kids. And uh, I punished her. It turned out to be almost a whole summer, which Mm -hmm. is crazy. You think, oh, I never thought that it was hereditary. I really didn't. I just thought, well, she's going through a phase. Mm -hmm. She'll get over this. And her father had already died from it, right. but I never put two and two together that she was going to die from it. Now, your your other daughter is older? Yes, yeah, she's four years older, Debbie. Untouched by this? Well, I kept asking her if she was, and she kept saying no. But it turned out in the later years, I mean later, maybe five years ago, that she had some problems. Mm-hmm. And um, she had to go for counseling, and it turned out to be this because— The oldest child usually in an alcoholic family tries to be the parent. Mm. And when I think of him coming home drunk, and I try to keep it quiet, but you can't do that. And God bless my daughter. She was only, I'd say, seven. And she would come running out, Daddy, what are you doing? Why are you fighting with Mom? And when I think of it now, that's why if I give talks, I tell people, Mm -hmm. you have got to protect your child before you before the either husband or wife, whoever the person is drinking. Mm-hmm. And I regret all those things. That's why it was painful to write this book, because I talked about all the things I did wrong. But it must have been cathartic in a way, too, to get it down and deal with it. And you're thinking about it, and you're remembering it. But how did your daughter, your surviving daughter, take it? She was stronger than me. Mm-hmm. Um, I was heartbroken because that's the only two I had was two daughters, and I thought, my God, she's alone. But she was very close to friends and to cousins. But she's so strong. It, it's really amazing. Mm-hmm. And she builds me up, but when she has a private moment, she will talk about still the hurt because mm-hmm. she took care of Laurie's two children. Mm-hmm. They were close to her children's age. In fact, God bless her, her and her husband, they have brought up Laurie's children. Laurie's uh, children, her son was 18, and the girl was 17 mm-hmm. when she died. And I'll tell you what's sad is when her, her father died, when their father died, both Debbie and Laurie were by his side. Mm-hmm. Laurie was 17. And then when Laurie was dying and in a coma on life support, her daughter Laurie was there and she was 17. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. don't tell me that this is not a hereditary disease. It was mm-hmm. so painful to see that. Mm-hmm. To Have your grandchildren read your book? Yes. Mm-hmm. Have I you got had their any... permissions first. Okay. I was gonna, have yes. you had any blowback from all no, of this? No, I told them, I sat down, told them all I was going to write the good and the bad. Mm -hmm. And I said, if any of you do not want me to write this, I will not continue the book. Mm -hmm. But none of them want to go with me to talk Mm -hmm. to other people. And I respect that. We're all made differently Mm -hmm. what we can share. And in the writing, how did you approach it? Did you go in chronological order? And how did you 
How did you structure the book? This, let's talk about the latest one, the, the one about your daughter's death. How did you structure it? Did I you? continue where Richie died, mm-hmm. and he had been gone. And, you know, things we don't do is, and I think back now, I never acted like the mature person, the mother and the family, of sitting my kids down and saying, how do you feel with all this? Because I never knew my daughter, Laurie, was suffering mentally and physically. In fact, it's in the book so I can talk about it, but about eight months before she died, she hinted that something happened with her and her father. Mm -hmm. And... I had forced her into an abortion at 17. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that I did so wrong. And it messed her up, and it kept us from being that close. That's why I tell people, open up, not just talk, listen, because you can't learn if you do all the talking. Mm -hmm. Listen, ask them what they feel. And I didn't do that with my daughters. And I think the three of us, just buried everything in the deepest part of us, mm-hmm. and we didn't want to face what was really going on. Now that you've completed those memoirs and you're doing talks to other people about it, um, are you getting a lot of response that's saying, this is what happened to me, or I've gone through oh. this in, a, some, in similar ways? You know, it's funny. When I, I go to, uh, to festivals or whatever to sign books, I'll have a person come up and they'll talk to me and forget I might have six people standing over my book and I can't get to them because they have so much built up in them. And I think the main question they ask is, how do you know there's a problem? Mm -hmm. And I tell them, when there's a problem. Mm -hmm. You know, look at your finances. Uh, Is your child coming home not being the same? Are they changing friends? Things I never just figured that was life. Mm -hmm. But... You, it's sad that you have to lose loved ones mm-hmm. to start looking at life differently. Because I thought after I lost Richie that I had this bubble around me. I heard of people losing children. I read it in papers. I saw it on TV. And believe me, my heart went out to them. But when it happens to you, you just don't think it's going to. My girlfriend kept saying to me, Alberta, you better prepare myself. And I'm thinking, what is she talking about? I'm not going to lose her. It's bad, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to lose her. Mm-hmm. Now, when you conduct your memoir writing workshops, how do you get people started? What do you tell them in the beginning? What do you do? You well, sit down in a <laughs> class, and you're, you've got your workbook that you have on writing memoirs. What do you advise them as a beginning? The beginning is to be truthful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Don't write something that's going to be juicy. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, and I tell them, like I just said now, is make sure you get permission. Mm -hmm. And if they don't want to give you permission and you think it's important of this character in your story, if they're never going to show up after a first one or two sentences, don't use it. But if you think they're going to be... You better change everything about them. Mm-hmm. They're tall, make them short. If they're blonde hair, give them, you know, black. If they're mm-hmm. usually very calm, make them wild. I mean, you have to change it because you don't think at the moment you're writing it that someone's going to come back on you. Thank God I haven't yet. And can you do that in revision? Can you write it as it happened and then change these things afterwards? Oh, yes. Yeah. In fact, when I redid uh, Laurie's book, Please God Not To, One of her cousins was quite upset, Mm -hmm. and um, I had her picture in the the book and her husband's. Mm -hmm. 
and I took it out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I didn't ask. I thought, hey, if it means that much to her, it's not important. Mm-hmm. Why, why try to stress something that's not that important? So I just took it out. I didn't take out the situation, mm-hmm. but I took out their pictures. Obviously, the value of writing the memoir is to you and your family, but now you've gone beyond that, and you've helped other people write memoirs. Did you ever expect that it was going to go that far? Oh, you know, when, when Laurie passed, she passed in 2006. 2007, I called the Gosnell Rehab in Falmouth, where Laurie loved the place. She was there twice. Laurie was in rehab three times, and... I don't know how I did it. I picked up the phone and I called and someone answered and I thought I was going to be violently sick. And I'm saying to myself mentally, what am I doing? And I asked if I could talk and she says, oh, that'd be wonderful. We don't get many family members that want to talk. And she says, especially hearing from the other side. So to make it short, I decided I'd go and God bless my husband supporting me. He took me there. Well, I just got into the parking lot and I'm already crying Mm -hmm. because I could see her. Mm-hmm. And I said to the counsel, I don't think I can do this. I mean, I was just in tears. Mm-hmm. And they said, you'll be all right. So when we walked in the door, all the the memories came back, mm-hmm. seeing the girls dropping off their suitcases and some in bags, you know, grocery bags. And I looked down the hall, and there was this room where we were going to talk. And it had, I mean, the room was full. There were people sitting on chairs on the floor. So we walked in, and I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to have a breakdown. Seriously, I I almost, as old as I was, almost turned to go out the door. Mm. I said, I can't handle this. So I sat in front of them, and I was so proud. I had seven pages that I was going to read from. I looked at them, and I said, I can't look at one page. I said, I have to just talk to you from my heart. And people were on the the floor on the left of me, on the right of me, and I made sure I turned and I looked at them. And there were some as young as 12 and 13. Mm-hmm. There was a woman in her 70s. Mm-hmm. And when I got through, the counselor said, you couldn't have come at a more perfect day. Mm-hmm. She says, because it's family day. She says, and I want to tell you this is a compliment because usually people, you know, they they don't listen. They go into the kitchen they get their coffee but not one person moved and to this day i brought a picture of richie and laurie and it's still hanging up mm-hmm. in the gosnell oh. hallway mm-hmm. so we just don't know who we're going to touch exactly exactly and of course you've gone on to write many other things including um, an interesting book on what is and isn't working for the alcoholic and addicts in their own words. And I would direct everybody to go to Alberta's website at www.amazon.com slash author slash Alberta Sequera. And that's A-L-B-E-R-T-A-S-E-Q-U-E-I-R-A. And you'll find a list of her books and also uh, her website at on the show notes to this podcast. Thank you so much, Alberta, for coming. Oh, and thank sharing you for having me. And I hope that this will energize people into thinking about their own life stories. Um, after all, history is recorded by those who either view it or memorize it or write it. <laughs> and we don't realize how many lives we're going to touch and change their way of thinking. Exactly. Thank you so much. And thank you all for listening. I hope you'll come back next month to hear episode number 10, Forgotten Lives, part three, 
about Valerie Berger Spies, a woman honored by the First Nations people of Quebec, Canada. Thank you again. If you like this podcast, please download and subscribe. It's free, and you'll find it on your favorite directories such as Apple, Google, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. To learn more about me and my books, go to JoyceWalsh.com. <laughs>